1: Regional rivals tussle in cyberspace and governments have it out with dissidents and the opposition. Market penetration as an instrument of state power. TikTok gets more unwelcome scrutiny over its privacy practices. Joe Kerrigan on a credential harvesting phishing scheme using Zoom as bait. Our guest is Avi Shua from Orca Security on accidental vulnerabilities. And suppressing creepware is apparently harder than it looks. From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, August 12, 2020. Various accusations of cyber attack have been emerging from regional and domestic rivals. Shutting down the Internet is the 21st century analog of the 20th century's seizure of the radio stations and the phone exchange, the 19th century's occupation of the newspaper and telegraph offices. That's what appears to be going on in Belarus, where internet disruptions that began at the end of the country's presidential election continue. Belarus has taken the official view that its internet outage is the work of ill-intentioned foreign operators. But as Medusa says, domestic dissidents claim, and most observers are with them on this, that it's the work of Minsk itself. The opposition had predicted, as voting began, That the government would clamp down on the internet and that's what appears to have happened the country's top level domain dot by was also rendered largely inaccessible to people outside belarus the guardian sees it as a high stakes gamble aimed at disrupting the ability of protesters to organize most such communication has moved to telegram which offers a degree of anonymity is hosted where minsk's writ doesn't run and which has shown itself relatively resistant to being taken down. Much of Belarus is effectively incommunicado, with some telephone service also reporting disruption. The internet blocking has been run through BL Telecom, the national telco, and the Belarusian National Traffic Exchange Center. One probable unintended consequence of the shutdown is that the remaining channels tend to be particularly susceptible to rumor, misdirection, and speculation— In many social channels, the clock is always striking 13, the Martians have landed, and the man is out to get you. Sometimes that's even true. The Martians eventually get through, at least in our editor's experience. But if President Lukashenko doesn't like that result, he might usefully consult the man in the mirror. The News International Edition and other outlets report that Pakistan's army assesses recent incidents on soldiers' mobile devices— as representing cyber attacks from inveterate adversary India. Pakistan's Inter Services Public Relations Organization, the ultimate source of news about the attribution, accused Indian intelligence services of a range of cyber crimes, including deceitful fabrication by hacking personal mobiles and technical gadgets. The Pakistan military's media relations arm added ambiguously that various targets of hostile intelligence agencies are being investigated. Pakistan Army has further enhanced necessary measures to thwart such activities, including action against violators of standing operating procedures on cybersecurity, Other government departments are also being told to go to a higher level of alert with respect to cybersecurity and especially to look for security lapses. Deceitful fabrication suggests either social engineering or disinformation, But the statement awaits clarification. Pakistan has grown increasingly skittish about WhatsApp since WhatsApp had been found susceptible to Pegasus spyware infestations, and there's much discussion of foregoing the use of WhatsApp in stories covering Pakistan's warning. The National Council of Resistance of Iran, whose English language service represents the Iranian opposition to much of the rest of the world, has accused Tehran of attempting to take down the website of the opposition's People's Mohadin Organization of Iran. The National Council of Resistance says the attempt, while desperate, and here one must make allowances for partisan hype, was unsuccessful. Researchers at Orca Security have been investigating what they describe as an all-too-common mistake of leaving an organization vulnerable to attacks by accidentally exposing it through allow listing external CI CD servers. CI CD stands for continuous integration and continuous delivery, by the way. Avi Shua is CEO and co founder at Orca Security, and he shares these insights.
2: At the end of the day, these days, everyone loves to use SaaS. You integrate external CI CD services, you integrate you may be using any other external services as part of your internal processes, and you need to open them to intimately integrated into an environment. If you think about that, if you use a service like Bitbucket or GitHub or any one of these services, it's essentially outsourcing or putting in an external service something which is pretty intimate part of your development process. And as such, it's need to communicate with your internal processes. So naturally you need to open it. And the way that you open it is many times done by simply opening a wall, a wall ax- allowing access from these external services to your internal services. And hmm. you might notice that it means that you opened an internal service to the world. And this seems right. At the end of the day, these are reputable services and you don't expect GitHub or and to attack you. So
1: what happens next if someone makes this configuration error? What specifically is the problem here? How are how are they opening themselves up?
2: So it might seem like a valid configuration. You open a hole in your policy to allow these external services to communicate with your internal servers that might not be secure to the same extent as you'd want, but you're opening it only for these reputable companies that are certainly not going to attack you. So it seems fine. But what usually the practitioner don't understand is that when you open it to these services, it's not like you're only opening it to the employees of Bitbucket or to the employees of of, uh, GitHub. You are in fact opening it to any of these company customers
1: but with the folks that you work with, when, when you're uh, describing these sorts of things to put into place, um, what are some of the reasons that they give to you why they haven't used such a system so far? My main
2: suggestion is that any organization that works in the cloud these days must make sure that they have the tools and processes to understand the security posture of his environment across the technology stack. There will be mistakes, there will be misconfiguration because people do mistakes and they can be both in the application and the configuration and might involve different parts of them. And you must make sure that you have the tools and processes to detect them and handle them. And don't assume that it can be fixed only by training or people make mistakes and security program must assume that they'll continue to make mistakes and we need to be able to fix it and and find them as fast as possible. That's Avi Shua from Orca Security.
1: The Wall Street Journal reports that TikTok had, until last November, collected MAC addresses in an undisclosed user tracking program, a technique that appears to violate Google's rules on how apps may collect user data. TikTok told the journal that it remains committed to protecting the privacy and safety of the TikTok community. Like our peers, we constantly update our app to keep up with evolving security challenges company added that the current version of TikTok does not collect MAC addresses. In an unrelated development, Reuters says that TikTok's proposed move of data centers from the U.S. to a presumably friendlier Europe may have also hit a snag, as French regulators, the CNIL, acknowledge that they have an open investigation into the service's privacy safeguards. A CNIL spokesman told Reuters, quote, The CNIL began investigations into the TikTok.com website and the TikTok application in May 2020. The CNIL had indeed received a complaint at that date. To date, the CNIL continues its investigations and participates in ongoing European work. And finally, yesterday was the deadline Google gave stalkerware vendors to stop advertising on the Mountain View marketing giant's search platform. But TechCrunch finds that a number of such apps, designed to give you the ability to snoop on someone's device usage without their knowledge or consent, are still present with ads. It's a tough problem, tougher than it would appear. Few people in the civilized world would want to empower stalkers and domestic abusers to keep track of their fixation's digital exhaust. It's creepy, sure, but it's also dangerous. Having said that, there are plenty of parents who want to have some insight into what their minor children are doing online, and that's far more defensible. Google sought to carve out an exception to its rules to accommodate what we might call in loco parentis software, but that's tough to do. Cyberspace is more dual-use than just about anywhere else, and the tool that might help keep your child from using your credit card to buy skater gear— alas be repurposed as creepware every day your IAM tech debt grows your multi-generational services struggle to work together building an identity fabric can fix this This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He is from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Uh, interesting uh, report came from the folks over at uh, Inky. They are yep. a um, an email security company. They do a lot of work uh, protecting people against phishing and those sorts of things. Um, and this article is called Zoom and Doom, uh, How <laughs> Inky Unraveled a Credential Harvesting Phishing Scam. There, there's some, some interesting stuff in this report here, Joe. You want to unpack it for us?
0: Yeah. So it starts off talking about Doom. Zoom, the uh, teleconferencing company. Uh, this. This is an absolutely amazing uh, statistic that in December of last year, they had 10 million daily participants in meetings. Now they have 300 million in April of this year. (laughs) Okay. And that's because, of course, we're all working from home, right? I mean, I attend Zoom meetings several times a week. Um, Mm -hmm. This is not really surprising, but I mean, that's a remarkable level of growth. Um, Right. And actually, the the this phishing scam doesn't actually exploit anything in Zoom. There's there's nothing in in that Zoom can do about this. It's just these attackers are using uh, Zoom as a hook for a phishing email, mm-hmm. um, and they might be sending an email from a compromised Zoom account, but uh, a lot of times they're not. They're just sending it from a fake. Uh, a fake domain like uh, zoomcommunications.com or zoomvideoconference.com. These, these attackers have registered these domains, uh, and I think these domains. I think Zoom has a, a good cyber squatting case here. They could probably get the get control of those domains. They're actually using the the company name Zoom and what they do communications or video conferencing in the URL. So I, mm-hmm. I think I think Zoom should go after after these domains and try to just get them, uh, and then gain control and, and redirect to their stuff. That's my advice to them if I was uh, consulting them, which I'm not. So uh, <laughs> I'm just giving free security uh, consulting <laughs> services to Zoom here. Uh, but anyway, what what these uh, phishing emails are doing is they're actually trying to harvest credentials for Microsoft Office 365 users. So you click on the link and it takes you to a, a page impersonating a Microsoft login. Hmm.
1: So it's saying you've been invited to a Zoom meeting. Right. You click on the link, and it takes you to an office or an Outlook, whatever, some, some something in the Microsoft suite to yeah. log in for that.
0: Which to me would be a red flag, but, you know, I'm, I'm not really steeped in the cloud computing or cloud environment. Yeah. It's something that could kind of make sense. You know, I, I mean, I remember years ago I would be trying to navigate a network and I'd have to go to some other place and it'd say, you have to log in. And I said, I thought I already logged in. And, I, and I'd make sure that I was going to the right place and it and, and would work. It would log in and I'd, I'd get there. Um, right. But so I, I imagine that there's some kind of thing going on here uh, psychologically with people where they're going, oh, well, since we use Microsoft, uh, maybe I have to go into my Microsoft account to access my Zoom, uh, right. to access a Zoom meeting. It kind of makes sense. I mean, it's not right thinking, but this stuff is a lot of smoke and mirrors and, and a black art to just about everybody who is not. Living day to day in the technical world.
1: How often do these cloud services just sort of pop up and say, hey, you need to re-log in? Yeah. You know,
0: it, for that's whatever reason. As well. some, yeah, something's
1: happened and you need to log in. And most of us think, all right, well, it's you know, a little bit of a nuisance, not a big deal. You put in your credentials and away you go.
0: Yeah. And a lot of times uh, that I, can happen if your IP address changes,
1: right? Right. And, and so I think this is taking advantage of that, how how routine that has become. That we don't really think twice about it when one of these things pops up. We think, oh, all right, well, I, you know, I want to get my work done. Better log in again.
0: Right. So you just go ahead and do it, right? And that's what yeah. happens. A couple of interesting things about this this campaign. One is that if this, some of these emails have an attachment, and when you click on the attachment, uh, what that actually loads up is the malicious web page, but the malicious web page is hosted on your computer. So these these attachments are actually uh, composed of HTML, JavaScript, and PHP that's obfuscated. So it's unreadable to humans. You, you, you couldn't read it. And also, a lot of automated security tools can't read it as well. So it's a, it's a mm-hmm. clever way to evade URL reputation checkers because this does not involve checking a URL. You're opening a local file. Then on the back end, I imagine that there's probably some JavaScript when you click submit that just opens another web connection out to a uh, a site and just sends that across in uh, some JSON packet or something, right? So mm-hmm, these mm-hmm. credentials are then just exfiltrated.
1: Yeah, and, and these, you know, as we've talked about before, uh, we talk about this all the time on hacking humans. How how uh, legit these login pages look because they're actually just scooping up the the html code from the real site
0: right yeah html is um all of the web is just text-based right all the code yeah. there's no compilation of of a web page it's 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 a text file that gets sent down to me and rendered in my browser uh right. along with other text files like javascript and css but they're all still text files they're they're not binaries. So there is no way to stop somebody from having complete access to all of the source code for your web page. You can't do it unless unless you don't want to display your web page to them. <laughs> right, right, right.
1: All right. Well, it's uh, an interesting uh, look into this particular phishing campaign, you know, taking advantage of that popularity of uh, Zoom. And I suppose uh, the lesson here is uh, look twice, think twice before you just reflexively log into some of these cloud services.
0: Yeah, that's that's the lesson. Also, yeah. another lesson, whenever you have cloud services, multi-factor authentication, multi-factor authentication, multi-factor authentication. <laughs> these credentials <laughs> right. will not do uh, an attacker any good if you have a good multi-factor authentication uh, solution implemented.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, Joe Kerrigan, thanks
0: for joining us. My pleasure, Dave. ...to share your feedback now.
1: And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI